0: and welcome to another episode of the Thorax Podcast. I'm Kate Diomady. Joining me this month is Professor Sam Jaynes, Respiratory Consultant at University College Hospital and Director of Medicine at UCL. His research focuses on screening and the early detection of lung cancer. Hello, Sam, thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, thanks for the invitation.
0: Today we're going to be talking about a paper you published recently in Thorax about CT surveillance of lung cancer, so nodules in lung cancer. And I just wanted to start talking initially about lung cancer and lung cancer screening in the United Kingdom or in the UK. My understanding is that we don't have a lung cancer screening programme in the UK at the moment. Is that true?
1: Yeah, not not yet. Lung cancer screening has got quite a long history, in fact, So with CT scans. So the Americans ran a huge trial called NOST in the sort of first decade of just after 2000 and published in 2011. And they actually got going with CT screening very quickly. So it was uh, funded by Medicare, uh, Medicaid. And uh, the reason for that was because the results were pretty spectacular, actually. So there was a 20% decrease in lung cancer mortality with CT screening in a high risk population. And then Europe sort of was quite sluggish to follow. I think it, it Obviously worried about how would it do it? Expense scanners, ra- mm-hmm. radiologists, and there was um, a trial in Europe called the Nelson trial, which was running, and and many of us were hoping it was going to sort of report twenty sort of seventeen eighteen time. but actually didn't report until twenty twenty, but again showed that uh, a really spectacular mortality reduction in lung cancer. So from that time, we really got some traction, certainly in the UK, and there were trials ongoing in the UK. So there was summit study in London, Mm -hmm. Yorkshire screening trial in Yorkshire, and then Manchester had run a really fantastic sort of pilot studies. And so we were getting quite a lot of data to show that hopefully CT screening is feasible, works in the UK. And then actually we've got great government Mm buy-in and the government started pilot programs. So there were around 20 pilots originally. That's been expanded to 40-odd now. And then I think the ambition is that CT screening will start later in this decade.
0: Okay, so the pilot studies are ongoing in much of the country at the moment. So in your opinion, lung cancer screening would be a worthwhile, cost-effective, useful thing for us to do?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it, it's life saving. So, you know, it, it, the the big American trial showed not only did you get a, a 20% reduction in lung cancer mortality, it was actually a 7% reduction in overall mortality. I, I don't think I've ever seen a trial deliver that. And so the health economics, there was huge caution around that. Mm-hmm. And the National Screening Committee in the UK commissioned uh, their own health economics. US health economics were coming out you know, incredibly high. Um, Australian sort of quite expensive. Um, but then the health economics in the UK done by a couple of the studies in the UK and then more latterly by the, the National Screening Committee mm-hmm. show that it's very cost effective in fact.
0: Okay and the summit study is something that you've been running for a few years is that right? And how does that fit into the, the picture of
1: yeah screening in the UK yeah so we so our first dip into lung screening in the UK was actually a study called the lung screen uptake trial and i really feel uh, I, I really loved that trial so in the UK there was a trial called UKLS that was run out of Liverpool and Cambridge and then that was a sort of feasibility study really to show that the UK could run a large trial and then actually, they didn't get funding for a large trial. So the UK was slightly rudderless. actually, you know, didn't really know where it was going. And I was desperate to do some CT screening. I was convinced it would save lives. So I was hugely fortunate. I met this incredible lady called Jane Wardle, who's a behavioral psychologist. And she published, you know, six or 700 papers on breast screening, colon screening, so I went to her and uh, sat down with a clinical fellow of mine called Mumta Ruparel and an incredible PhD student of hers called uh, Samantha Quaif. Jane was really interesting. She, she was sort of, you know, is CT screening, really good to work for lung cancer or lung cancer, you know, is there any interest? And I managed to persuade her to think about it. And she, and she came back and she said, Sam, you know, if CT screening is going to work in the UK, GPs have to tell their patients they have to do it. And this was at a time where in the U.S. we were getting reports of like 4% uptake rates for CT screening. And, and clearly the European governments were looking at that going, well, we're not going to have to do this. This doesn't work. So we set up something called the lung screen uptake trial, which devised the sort of lung MOT, which we've heard about and has been used in Manchester um, really brilliantly as well. And we tested the sort of lung MOT idea and the lung health check against a sort of more traditional screening sort Mm -hmm. of invitations. And what we found was that we had a 53% uptake rate. So really fantastic uptake rate.
0: By the GP.
1: So the GPs would send out invitations Mm -hmm. uh, to people at risk and then we would measure their interest. Okay, And that was with really a single invitation. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's really changed global perception, actually, of CT screening, mm-hmm. and the fact that actually people of a certain age that have smoked do actually want their lungs checked. Mm-hmm. So we were hugely fortunate then to be introduced to a company called Grail. So Grail have a blood-based marker for all cancers, mm-hmm. actually, Um, And they were very interested in running a lung trial. Initially, that was going to be in the US. And then I persuaded them it would be great (laughs) to have uh, a cohort in London. And then actually, incredibly, they they moved the whole trial to London. So we screened 13,000 people. Uh, It took about three years to set up and three years to run. And actually, I've just literally come off a call now, which was our closing meeting. Mm -hmm. So our last last participant finishes in May this year. And it's really been a a fantastic experience. And the aims of Summit have both been to show that, yes, the NHS can run lung cancer screening successfully. Mm -hmm. So it's about two fifths of London. It was North Central and East London. And then second is the, the GRAIL biomarker. Mm-hmm. So all our participants have given annual blood tests as well as having their annual screens mm-hmm. for three years. And actually one sort of set of bloods goes off to GRAIL to test their biomarker. And then at UCL we've built our own biobank around the trial as well. So we have blood scan data and clinical data from the participants. So hopefully it's a wonderful resource moving mm-hmm. forward.
0: And do you have the data? Do you have the results from that yet, or
1: you- so we're just uh, we we've published a few things, including uh, this study I- I- in Thorax around some of the CT scan data, and then we've sort of submitted uh, a late-breaking abstract to ESMO in October, which will be the first blood test data. So I haven't seen that data. The data comes out in August and then there will be a sort of rapid writing into a release of the results for October.
0: Mm-hmm. So, um, would you mind just summarising what you did find with the CT scan data?
1: Yeah, so we've looked at lots of things with CT data. And the first thing we found actually was actually the participation was still good mm-hmm. within Summit. So we have around a 40% participation. And I think it's slightly lower than the lung screen uptake trial because it, we had to be very clear early on that this was a trial and that it was actually being funded by an American healthcare company and data and blood tests would be going to America. And I think that mm-hmm. puts off some people. So I guess that explains the sort of 10% lower uptake and then we're sort of collecting we've collected a lot of data on incidental findings we're looking at what other diseases do you detect with ct screening cuz actually the the lung cancers are a bit of a tip of an iceberg of the information you get from a ct scan and then the the publication in thorax mm-hmm. is we've looked at how nodules grow and at what stage should they be referred so within summit we built our sort of our it is an amazing system actually which runs the participants where radiologists uh, report into the system and then the system is automated to the BTS guidelines and when you when you're building these automated systems you find cracks where some some participants don't quite fit into the guidelines and of course you're automating a system so you have to make something so we were interested. One of one of those cracks was the the growing nodules that remain small, so they're they're sort of less than eight millimeters or two hundred millimeters cubed, um, even after growth after three months. And our radiologists, fantastic radiologists Arjunair and uh, Anand Devaraj, they sort of felt okay. Something that grows and gets above 200 millimetres cubed should be referred to an MDT, but if it stays less, then perhaps it shouldn't, and it should mm-hmm. stay within the screening programme.
0: And and that's not standard procedure for lung cancer screening it, at the moment?
1: No, so that, that isn't covered by current BTS guidelines, that sort of smaller threshold size. So basically we've looked at the data, and actually it, it's it, it, a growing nodule that grows, but is still less than 200 millimetres cubed or eight millimetres, which is a sort of classic, okay, we should refer to an MDT or do a PET scan. Mm -hmm. It has around a 13% chance of being a cancer, whilst actually if a nodule has grown, but is larger than that threshold size, it's over 50% Mm -hmm. chance. And what we found was actually of all the patients that we kept in the surveillance study, those 13% that did turn out to be cancer, they were all stage one apart from one mm-hmm. when they were finally diagnosed. So, the sort of message from the paper is we think that it's safe and pragmatic mm-hmm. to keep these small lesions that are growing within a surveillance program rather than referring them into MDTs.
0: Yeah, so in that way, you would avoid overdiagnosis without um, risking. Yeah, so,
1: well, probably avoid over-investigation over, over investigation
0: mm-hmm.
1: more and the anxiety and things that goes with that referral into an MDT.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned already the blood tests that you're going to have that later on in the year, the data from that. What else do you have planned? What, what else are you going to look into?
1: Yeah, so uh, I think we've got... Uh, You know, one of the really exciting things about Summit, I hope, is the legacy that we'll have. And you know, this is for collaborators in the UK and and globally. So we have, you know, perhaps 25,000 blood samples stored, 25,000 CT scans stored. The data on these participants, both from the pretty extensive ECRFs that we were collecting during the trial, we also have primary care data. So that really, I hope, is a a sort of treasure trove of really highly phenotyped people with very heavy burden of diseases, where we can look at genomes, inflammatory cells, CT scan, sort of radiomics, and start matching this to data. And then sort of example of the richness of the cohort is that, you know, roughly about 40% of the cohort have emphysema on their scans, 40 odd percent sort of report breathlessness, they have obstructive spirometry, 60 or two thirds actually uh, of the participants have coronary artery calcification. And currently there's no real understanding of what we should be doing with this information, whether we should even be feeding it back, we don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, So within Summit, we were really clear we would only feed back information that there was evidence base for an intervention. Mm -hmm. Um, So many of these things haven't been fed back, but we understand them and hopefully we can understand more moving forward about what we should do with this knowledge.
0: So do you mean whether there's potentially a value for CT scanning and investigation, other conditions like emphysema or...
1: Yeah, and and also actually, you know, you get really interesting things where around 20% of the people in Summit have undiagnosed COPD. Mm-hmm. So they have symptoms, obstructive uh, and obstructive spirometry, probably along with emphysema on a scan. So it also gives you incredible insight into the samples the proteins for example the genomes of these people why are they developing COPD why haven't they presented yet also it's a very rich cohort to perhaps invite for studies in the future Mm -hmm. you know for novel treatments that you perhaps don't want them to have seen steroids and things in the past so you know I think I think the opportunities within Summit are huge Mm -hmm. actually moving forward
0: yeah it sounds it sounds really interesting So obviously, you were doing this trial during COVID and I was just wondering what that was like.
1: Yep. So that was a pretty painful experience. So Summit was a huge undertaking. So I'll I'll probably get the numbers wrong, but at, at its peak, it probably had 80 staff working on it, radiographers, all the trial practitioners, a phone screener, staff, the trials unit, clinical fellows. Um, the radiologists reporting, and then suddenly to to have to halt was a a huge sort of governance mm-hmm. uh, problem because many of our participants we were about eleven thousand into the thirteen thousand, so they were running and they were coming supposed to be coming back for their repeat scans mm-hmm. or nodule follow ups. Uh, so that was a huge, huge undertaking to sort out. And so for
0: some people, sorry, you weren't able to follow them up. So
1: that w- well, we we did, but we had to delay a lot of follow ups. Mm-hmm. So many of our three month sort of nodule follow up scans were bumped to, luckily, to six months okay. when the scanners were reopened. It was also a huge pressure because obviously the the, the team was funded by GRAIL and. I must say, Grail were fantastic. So they said, you know, <laughs> this is a pandemic. All the staff within Summit were pretty much repurposed to COVID. And indeed, many of the COVID trials for mm-hmm. three or four months before sort of gradually returning back to Summit. So it was a, it was a massive undertaking because we had two lockdowns. So it all okay. happened over again. But the team really pulled through. It, it was a really tough time, but they pulled through. And actually, the participants all came back. Mm-hmm. We We... We had a lot of hesitancy initially, of course, because many of our scanners were in hospitals. Mm-hmm. But they all came back, which was fantastic. And the other great thing, I mean, I probably would like to highlight. So this has been, you know, it hasn't been easy to de- deliver Summit, but it's been a wonderful example of industry working with the NHS and working with the university. Mm-hmm. So, So Grail funded Summit. UCL sponsored it, so they sort of run the academic side of it, and and UCLH and its hospital partners have delivered it. It's been a, a fantastic example because I think all three partners have benefited mm-hmm. and actually all the resource that Grail put in, So so much of the sort of refurbishing of NHS sites, building new outpatient rooms for CT scanners has all been gifted to mm-hmm. the NHS, so so that handover occurs at the end of this month.
0: Yeah, great. very good. So the survival rates of lung cancer remain quite poor comparatively to other cancers. Um, and I was wondering if you could maybe talk about why that is and what we can do about it.
1: Yeah, so it's um, it's can be very depressing reading lung cancer survival rates, but but I do think we're in a new era. So, when I I started as a consultant in 2005, it was a tiny clinic. A few people might have got chemotherapy. Very few people got surgery. It was difficult. But actually, the landscape has changed enormously. So, now our early detection rates are, are much higher we are an unusual hospital because we've had summit and lung screen uptake before that but our sort of surgical rates have gone from perhaps 10% in early 2000s to over 30 now mm-hmm. And and actually the the landscape of treatments has changed enormously. So we've got targeted therapies, we have immune checkpoint inhibitors. So we're actually seeing some much longer survivals even in patients with stage 4 disease. Mm -hmm. Lung cancer, however, is uh, still the biggest cancer killer of men and women and still has very poor outcomes when you look at, uh, at statistics. And I think, you know, that really emphasises to me the importance of early detection. CT screening, you know, it, it's vital. We get it up and, and really working well. Even the perfect CT screening programme, however, will probably only detect about 40% of your cance- lung cancers. So the majority of lung cancers still sit in the much, much bigger population that is either a sort of lighter smoker or indeed never smokers. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, many of my colleagues now are really looking at that and trying to understand, okay how can we detect lung cancer earlier in a method that isn't CT screening? CT screening has its limitations with Mm -hmm. its radiation dose and actually the cost of implementing it. So the... The GRAIL test that we're working with in Summit is one example of a pan-cancer test, a blood test. There are breath tests. There mm-hmm. are many different tests, hopefully, which will you know be proven to be effective over the next five years.
0: And would that, that would be something that you would roll out to the whole population rather than just to the high-risk cohort?
1: Yeah, I think so. So I think many of the, the, the sort of multi-cancer early detection tests... Their ambition is that they'll be used as screening tests, perhaps for the over 50s. And we'd all have a blood test every year uh, and it would detect cancers, not not just lung cancer, but, but many cancers. Breath testing, again, you know, could potentially be much cheaper, could be rolled out in GP surgeries, perhaps to what we might term ever smokers so even if you've been a light smoker you know many years ago you would still qualify perhaps or and and indeed perhaps never smokers Mm -hmm. Um, so I think all these things are exciting probably still still some way off being Mm -hmm. proven
0: but reasons to be like optimistic absolutely yeah absolutely (laughs) okay great thank you very much Thank you for listening to the Thorax Podcast. Please subscribe on your preferred platform to get it directly on your device each month. We'd also like to hear from you, so please get in touch through our social media channels or leave us a review on the Thorax Podcast page on iTunes. Thank you and see you next month.